Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Hello, hello, my friends. Welcome to another episode of Breast Cancer Conversations. I hope you are doing well. At the time of this recording, I am located in Las Vegas, where we will be setting up and exhibiting at the NCBC conference, the National Consortium of Breast Centers. And I'm just so excited because I'm updating this podcast from our lovely hotel room. The sun is shining, and I am just so excited to share with you the interview I did with Tara Coyote. Before we get started, if you're new to Breast Cancer Conversations and survivingbreastcancer.org, I'm going to encourage you to hop on over to our website and engage in a lot of our free virtual events. You can check out more at survivingbreastcancer.org forward slash events, where we meet up every Thursday night for our virtual support group and once a month have special breakout sessions specifically for those living with MBC, as well as those living with inflammatory breast cancer. Let's jump in into today's episode. Tara is the owner of a horse retreat center, Wild Horse Sanctuary in Kauai, Hawaii. When I was speaking with Tara, all I wanted to do was like book my flight to Hawaii. I can't wait to go visit her in person. She is a certified equine facilitated learning teacher and life coach. Over the years, she has guided hundreds of people with private sessions, group workshops, and grief rituals with horses. Tara also has been diagnosed with late stage metastatic breast cancer since September 2016. She is currently managing her diagnosis with complementary methods, which is a blend of conventional and non-toxic approaches. Tara has been very public about her health journey through her blog, YouTube channel, and on social media. In fact, I think we actually met on Instagram initially, which I'm super excited about. She is very grateful to be alive after being recommended into hospice in the spring of 2019 with only six months to live. She is currently thriving on her island of Kauai, living off the grid in her yurt with her animals. Tara's memoir, Grace, Grit, and Attitude, A Cancer Survivor's Journey to Hospice to Full Recovery with the Healing Power of Horses is a number one bestseller on Amazon in eight different categories. Tara writes about overcoming adversity, a deep dive into the challenges that come from loss, and her own harrowing health journey, and how her horses have played a significant role in her miraculous healing with cancer. Tara believes it is always possible to find beauty within the greatest tragedy and that even challenges enable us to reach our highest growth. Cancer can be an awakening to life. It doesn't have to be a death sentence. It can be a path of transformation, really. I don't think of myself as being sick. I never think of myself as being a victim. I think of myself as being healthy. Welcome to the conversation. My name is Tara Coyote. I currently live in Kauai, Hawaii, out in the middle of the ocean. It's a lovely life. Um, I was diagnosed with stage three estrogen positive breast cancer in September 2016. I, when I first was diagnosed, I decided not to do the recommended standard treatment, which is chemo, surgery, radiation. My best friend had died the year previously from acute myeloid leukemia at the age of 46. And I was one of her main caretakers for 22 months. And I had a lot of trauma about the experience of being with her for months at end in the hospital. And I was petrified to do chemotherapy because there was so much trauma around her death. So I chose a hundred percent exclusive natural route of treatment, uh, which was 
a big leap of faith. It required tons of research, a lot of money too. I did endless fundraisers because of course, natural routes of treatment are not covered by insurance. Um, and I did really, really well for about two and a half years until a very stressful incident occurred in my life. And I was running a horse ranch in Northern California called Wind Horse Sanctuary, where it was a horse retreat center where people would come and do workshops and private sessions with me and um, equine facilitated learning, basically, to learn about the wisdom of the horse and go through healing through being with horses. And uh, it was a really hard blow. I realized I had to sell my ranch and uh, give up everything I'd worked so hard to create. I had to let go of two of my horses and basically it was about a year of intense stress. And during that time, the cancer spread from being stage three to stage four. I also was diagnosed in September of 2016. It was at the tail end of 20, um, sorry, the tail end of September. And I remember um, living in Boston. I flew down to Florida to visit my parents after my diagnosis. I was like, I need to regroup before I just jump into chemotherapy because they want to start you right away. They're like, you know, you got diagnosed come tomorrow and we'll like hook you up and start IV chemo. And I remember scrolling through all of this information about the toxicity of chemotherapy and how scary it was. I ended up not going a holistic route, but I was close to it. I was on the discussion forums. I was reading about it. Can you tell me a little bit more about what that entails? Clearly there's um, a financial expense to it. But I'm just curious in terms of like, you know, diet or other types of um, homeopathic opportunities, please, please enlighten me because I really don't know. Yes, yes. It was a full time regimen. I tell you, <laughs> it took hours and hours each day. I basically worked with Dr. V, who wrote the book Heal Breast Cancer Naturally. She's a wonderful, oh. wonderful woman, very knowledgeable, very sweet. I worked with one of her coaches and they put me up on a healing protocol, basically, where I was taking lots of herbs, I was really paying attention to my diet, I was uh, taking all sorts of strange supplements, like this fermented soy drink from China that tasted disgusting, you know, I was really exploring everything. So a, a lot of people do heal naturally, and they do really, really well with it. But it is very expensive, and it takes a lot of time and attention. Dr. Max Gerson has a couple of books, and we were doing some of that diet as well. Yeah, I followed Max Gerson's routine for a while. I ended up during the whole process of it, I went to Mexico, Hope for Cancer for treatment. Yes. That's when the cancer spread to be throughout my body. So it was a full evolution of really trying everything. Mm -hmm. And for some people, that's that's enough and they're healed. But for others, I realized as I was sharing in my story, the cancer had progressed from my breast to my lungs, my liver, my spine, my adrenal glands, my, my left hip. So I, I was at the point when I moved back to Kauai, Hawaii, in the winter of 2019, where I was referred to hospice, I was literally dying, I had mm -hmm. cancer in my lungs, I couldn't speak because I was coughing so much, I had to sit up to sleep for two months, I was walking with a cane because my left hip was breaking. And so I really was faced with my fear of, okay, 
either face your fear of doing chemo or you're going to die. And I was literally dying. I mean, they gave me six months and I could see it. My life force was fading. And, and I decided to face my fear. My son was 26 at the time. And I thought, I really want to be here for him because I sadly had had many young friends who had died from cancer, do, just doing the natural treatment. So I had to come to peace with the standard route of treatment. And so I, what I did was nine months of chemo, but I also continued to do the natural treatments too. So ultimately complementary treatments, which is what I still do now. And I believe it's a big part of why I'm doing so well. So there, there is a part yeah. for natural medicine and combined with standard, it can be very powerful if you find that balance. I believe it. And when you were going through the natural route, were you still connecting with your oncology team and doing any routine scans or checkups to see how effective the treatment was? Or was that not part of the plan? I was for a bit. I ran into some issues, sadly, with the community where I lived in Northern mm. California, where I felt, and this is unfortunately a part of some hospitals and medical systems where they were very pushy and kind of bullying me into doing treatment. And it, it felt uh, very intimidating to me and I didn't feel comfortable. So I did do some scans and it would have been better if I had kept up on it. But because of their attitude, I basically stopped doing that. And I was monitoring myself through alternative blood tests. So oh, okay. in retrospect, that's something that it would have been better for me to keep up on. But um, yeah, I couldn't handle that pushiness that I experienced. It's hard. And, you know, there's a level of compassion as well. You know, we always advocate that we need to find our partner, our medical partner in this journey, because even if you are going through traditional treatments, you know, you need to have that relationship with somebody and build that trust. And they need to honor what some of our choices are as well. I was talking to another woman who was on the podcast and she was um, a race announcer for marathons. She would travel all over the U.S. and give these amazing, you know, the person on the microphone, like cheering everyone on as they're coming through the uh, the finish line. And she was petrified that if she started chemo, her doctor would say, don't get on a plane and don't travel. And he was like, no, this is your livelihood. This is what keeps you going. I want you to keep doing the things that are making you happy. Where, you know, you talk right. to some other doctors who are like, nope, we're, we're worried about COVID. We're worried about your immune system. We're worried about travel. Um, but it's really finding that partnership and finding your team who's going to help you, um, you know, navigate what's best for you as well. Absolutely. It's so important to have supportive caregivers around you. And always. Yeah. When I moved back home to Kauai, Hawaii, I found that aloha spirit that's here in Hawaii, a, a group of just really supportive, amazing doctors that didn't criticize me for my choices. They said, I know, you know, you're scared to doing chemotherapy, but you might want to consider it rather than saying things that were more threatening. So yeah, it's very important to be treated with love. And unfortunately, not all the medical staff know how to do that. So very good point. So you started chemotherapy. Do you know what type of, do you recall what treatments you were on? I know there's like alphabet soup out there. Yes, yes. Well, I did two months, which stretched out to be a little bit longer due to some side effects of AC. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember what it stands for because it's those long words. Yes. Know, chemical Adriamycin cytoxin, I believe. 
that's, you got it. That's it. Yep. Yep. And then I did Taxol right after that. Um, It was supposed to be maybe six months, but during that time I landed in the hospital and I almost died a few times from my own health and side effects from the chemo. Um, I ended up breaking my left hip and I had to have emergency double hip surgery and had to learn to walk again. That was from the bone metastasis. So due to all these circumstances, and then my mom was diagnosed with stage four cancer and I traveled to California. So there was a lot that went on. So the six months ended up being nine months, which, you know, that was what my body needed. And Mm-hmm. And I finished treatment in February, 2020 with amazing results. The tumors all shrank and that was two years ago. And I still continue to get clean blood tests and my body's stable. The tumors continue to shrink. So I'm just so grateful to be alive. Yes. Uh, what a comeback. Like you were mentioning to be, you know, in hospice with six months to live to, you know, kind of changing gears, trying new treatments and, again, still dealing with such stress in your life, right? With your mom and other things that are going on. And, you know, how do, how do you balance that? It's, you know, taking care of yourself as well as taking care of others is no small feat. Oh man, you got that right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a work in progress daily because now my dad's health is declining. And um, so, yeah, we're finding that balance every day. Right. So I, it's actually something I'm working really hard on now. It's like, reminding myself, Tara, self-care, self-care. There's a great statement, a dear friend of mine here in Hawaii, a Hawaiian man has a statement, aloha ma. It's of the Hawaiian derivative. And it means self-reflective love, basically, Mm. basically self-love, self-care. And so I think of that often of like, okay, my own inner health comes from that state of self-love, aloha ma. And, um, you know, right now, like I said, my dad's health is not well. So I am just reaching out for support. I'm getting therapy. I'm reaching out to friends. I've got a strong group of friends. I'm spending time in nature with my animals that really feeds me and trying to find that nugget of time to really feed myself, whether that's reading a book or just being quiet or getting a massage. So yeah, it's a work in progress, especially for women, because we tend to be caretakers and just one more thing I wanted to add, a lot of us with breast cancer, we tend to be nurturers, like the breasts are all about mothering. And so it's really hard to make that differentiation, differentiation. So you could edit that out. Separation. (laughs) It's really hard to find that separation between caring for another and caring for yourself. So like I said, it's a work in progress every day. And not to feel selfish about it. I mean, I struggle with that too. It's hard to settle the mind, to quiet the mind, and to also not feel like I should be doing something else. This idea of productivity can be being still. Like that is a possibility. Whereas I'm constantly like, oh no, there's emails to check or there's something to do or groceries to do. But so I feel like bad, but there should be nothing to feel ashamed or bad about when you're telling yourself that self-care is important and to take the time for yourself. Getting back to your story, however, I am really curious about your background. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got into training with horses? I trained with Linda Kohonoff, who wrote the bestseller, The Tao of Equus, amazing woman. I trained at her organization called Opona Quest in Arizona. And it's all about Finding healing through being with horses. Horses are incredibly healing creatures. They have large hearts. It's hard to 
explain why, but they have a very calming presence, very reflective. So they're amazing creatures to spend time with in a therapeutic manner. So yeah, I went through, and this is all in my book, Grace, Grit, and Gratitude, but I went through a very traumatic uh, experience with my husband at the time. And I was basically in a black hole, very depressed. And I was running a successful Pilates studio at the time. And I was in a bad place for about a year. And then I was just searching for something to get me out of it. And then I remembered my love of horses. I basically had been a horse crazy young girl. I hadn't had horses, but my cousins had. So I got to spend time with them when I was with my cousins in New Hampshire. And I read Linda's books and it totally transformed my life to realize I need to spend time with horses again. Wow. So I started spending time doing therapy with a horse therapist, with a woman who was trained to do therapy with horses. I started taking workshops with Linda and it was so inspiring and so powerful that I decided to sell my business, sell my house and move and get a ranch, get my first horse Comanche and uh, do this work that was so powerfully healing for me. I'm interested. I mean, I've never, I don't know much about horses, never grew up with them. They they intrigue me. They see, I mean, they're huge, amazing animals. But my brother has a learning disability somewhere on the spectrum of autism, very high functioning. But I remember even as a kid, my mother always saying like, he needs to be around animals, just like the calmness, the petting, the grooming, the the repetitiveness. And then even like riding horses too, that there's kind of like this rhythm and this motion that can really help my brother who's autistic um, really like find himself. A lot of vets work with horses in a therapeutic manner, women who've gone through abusive relationships. So it could really help anybody at any stage of life. Wow. And so was this prior to your diagnosis or did you come back to the horses after your diagnosis? Like what was the timing? That's a good question. It was definitely prior to my diagnosis. Okay. I found my horses to be quite calming forces. I had four at that time. And there were some amazing circumstances where I, I had a female horse, a mare at that time, and she would rest her head on my left shoulder. The, the cancer was in the left breast and she would like rub her head up and down oh, wow. the left side of my body. When I was first diagnosed within that week, when I was in shock and traumatized and my head was spinning. So yeah, they, they really showed up for me and they have continued to, to this day. They're yeah. such powerful forces for me. Another woman I was talking about, she went swimming with the dolphins. And before she told anyone that she had cancer, she was just keeping it to herself, went swimming with the dolphins, and the dolphins were noticing, like, rubbing up right on her chest and giving her a lot of attention. So there's something there. I've never had a dog before Logan either. He's just over a year. Like, oh my God, the amount of love he has. But now when he puts his head at different parts of my body, like on my hips or like femur or like places where it could spread... I'm like, are you trying to tell me something? Because I'm also a little like agitated as well, how in tune they can be. <laughs> That's so true. Animals are incredibly healing. I have three cats. I've turned into the crazy cat woman. <laughs> I got two kittens this past August just to celebrate the, the publication of my book and my mom's health was going downhill. So I thought I need some more animals. So I got yeah. two kittens and oh my gosh, they're so amazing the way they just lay on different body parts. They're such healing entities. So I'm glad Absolutely. you have that with your dog Absolutely. too. Tell me about your book. When did you decide that um, the next step was writing a book and getting published? Sure. Well, 
after I finished treatment in February 2020, I wanted to create a documentary called Cancer Thriver Film, documenting stories of people with stage four cancer who were defeating the odds and thriving. And I was getting all those wheels in motion to do that. And so that was February 2020. And then you know what happened in March of 2020, <laughs> COVID hit. And I live on a tiny island in the middle of the ocean. And of course, travel virtually stopped. And I'm like, okay, well, there's no way I can do a documentary now. I can't travel. People can't travel to me. So I thought, all right, well, we're in quarantine. Everything's shut down. What can I do? And I had um, years and years of writing material because I had been blogging since my best friend's death. So I decided to take all that material and turn it into a memoir. So it took basically 15 months of me working on it solidly each day. It took an incredible amount of discipline. And I finally published it in August of 2021. It's called Grace, Grit, and Gratitude, a Cancer Thriver's Journey from Hospice to Full Recovery with the Healing Power of Horses. And it's just been really powerful to share my journey to help other people and um, also took a lot of courage because there's a lot of vulnerable stories in my book. But um, yeah, I'm glad it's out there in the world and can help share with other people going through cancer, that cancer can be an awakening to life. It doesn't have to be a death sentence. It can be a path of transformation, really. Writing can be such a healing and therapeutic modality as well. Were you a writer beforehand? That's a great question. Uh, I had my son when I was very young. I was a single mom and I had him when I was 22. But before I had him, I was determined to be a writer. I had always written when I was a kid. I wrote stories and I was one of those people in my late teens who would hang out in coffee shops and write poetry and stories. Oh, I love that. And so that was my dream. But then when I had him very young, of course, my life turned upside down and I, you know, I'm so glad I have him, but it, it put everything on hold. So when my best friend Deb died, in 2015, I was so stricken with grief because she was my best friend for 19 years. And it was so painful that I started pouring all my grief into my writing and I started sharing it gradually. And then when I was diagnosed a year later, so I'm just going to share my experience in a vulnerable manner. So yeah, it was the intense pain of her death. And then the intensity of being diagnosed with stage three cancer that propelled me to share my writing and over time, it started expanding. I would share my writing publications. And so I just sort of accidentally stepped back into that role again. But it's been a very wonderful experience. I love writing. There's so much healing in in writing. And I think that's a big part of being on the healing journey. We're talking about self-love is to really allow your emotions to come out and express them because we're so taught in our culture to stuff our emotions, whether it be anger or sadness or grief or frustration. And that's a lot of what the horse work is about too. It's like really feeling your emotions and letting them go. And that's a great segue. Can we actually talk a little bit about mental health and the role our minds play in healing? I would love to. This is a topic I'm very passionate about. I mean, I believe that proper medicine, whether you choose natural or conventional or complementary, but that's really important. But I believe equally or possibly more, your state of mind is more important because 
really we're creating our reality in every moment. So we often think like you brought up the food piece that's so relevant. What am I eating? What am I putting in my body? But it's also so important. What are we thinking? You know, what are we saying to people? How are we forming our reality? And a big piece, like I like to talk about, a lot of people say cancer survivor. And even that word survivor, it, it kind of has a ring of like struggle to it, you know? And so I like to think of myself as a cancer thriver. So yes, I'm walking the stage for cancer. It's scary. I don't know how long I'll live. I'm doing really well now and I'm super grateful, but I believe it's possible to thrive with cancer, whether it's stage one, two, three, or four, it's really, it's your life and how you choose to live it. When I was first diagnosed, I was exposed to the work of Joe Dispenza and a few other people with similar work. And he's got an incredible story of healing his body after breaking his spine in multiple places. I took that story on and I really resourced that when I broke my hip and I was in bed for a month of like, okay, how can I transform this to a healing experience? So I don't think of myself as being sick. I never think of myself as being victim. I think of myself as being healthy, you know, and that's how I identify with my reality. So I really encourage others on a cancer journey of like, how can you do your inner work to see yourself as healthy and healing rather than getting stuck into the thought paradigm that our culture teaches us of like, okay, we're walking with cancer. It's horrible. It's bad. You're sick. Like it doesn't have to be like that. It can be an opportunity and awakening to life. Like I mentioned earlier. Do you incorporate any meditation or visualization practices as part of your healing? I definitely do. Yeah. I've had a strong meditation practice for years. There's a lot of fear that can come and I deal with that every day. I I've been, it's been five and a half years for me walking with late stage cancer. So I feel like I've got a good mental handle on it, but you know how it is when you start feeling pain in your legs or whatever, maybe the, the thought process that comes in is like, Oh my gosh, what if the cancer is spreading? And it's so easy to grab onto that thought. So I'll try to notice when a thought comes in and I actually do a lot of the work of Byron Katie. If you know about her, it's something called the work. And you ask four questions to turn the thought around, to really analyze it. I've worked with a dear friend named Bethany Webb, who um, does this work with people. So that's been a lot of my process too. If I start getting fearful that the cancer is spreading to turn it around and basically take the fear out of the thought. Honestly, my animals really help me balance my energy, just being around them taking care of my two horses, my dog and my three cats and being in nature, that itself is a meditation practice. You know, you're such an inspiring story. I feel like, you know, when you're living with a terminal illness that we're still fighting every day to find a cure for, what words of inspiration or hope would you leave our listeners with? I would say don't give up. You know, you are so much stronger than you think you are. And to find that gem of beauty and light in the experience. Cause I feel like whenever hard things happen, yes, it's very difficult, but hard things happen to grow us. So to find that kernel of transformation within the experience and really see that it might be there to really serve you. It might draw you closer to people you love. It might help you learn how to receive. I mean, there's a myriad of gifts. It doesn't have to be a death sentence. I mean, I'm not saying that it might not be, 
you know, we're all going to die at some point, but to really seize life in the moment and live life now, because even walking with cancer, life is still a very blessed experience if you choose to make it that way. Tara, this has been so beautiful and I'm just so excited. This has been, I think, a conversation I've been dying to have with you after reading your story and connecting with you online. I'm going to link to all of your social media channels, your YouTube channel, where our listeners can find your book, both on Amazon and Barnes & Noble online. Thank you again so much for taking the time to speak with us and share your story. And thank you all for listening and tuning in week after week here on Breast Cancer Conversations. Please be mindful that all of our content and information is for educational purposes only and is never a substitute for medical advice. If you want to hang out again, please check out survivingbreastcancer.org forward slash events, where you can RSVP to our Thursday Night Thrivers weekly meetup, our Movement Monday classes, workshops, seminars, and so much more. We can also continue the dialogue online via social media. Our Instagram handle is survivingbreastcancer.org, all one word, and you can follow us on Twitter at SBC underscore ORG. Until next time, keep on thriving.